This morning, we are going to be looking, continuing to look at the life of Christ. And uh, one of the things that I have, I, I have the distinct pleasure of being able to sit in this, to sit in the book of Mark day after day, week after week, and just kind of let it marinate for a while. And the fun thing for me is that I see certain parts of it coming really alive in our body. Uh, we, we see Jesus uh, healing a leper. We see Jesus healing a, a lame man. We see Jesus healing a mother-in-law. Of all things, Jesus heals a mother-in-law. What is up with that? But Jesus is a merciful, great God that is working in the lives of the people that he's around. And uh, for me as a pastor, um, a lot of times I need to hear stories. I need to hear stories about what God is up to in your life. Um, I know what's going on in my stuff. And uh, so this morning, I- I'm going to give you the pleasure of hearing uh, Andy Ratchis, uh, one of our, our regular attenders, in hearing his story of what God has been doing in his life. And here's my prayer, that you don't go, holy cow, that's a lot of junk. But what you hear is, wow, God is good. So, Andy, I'm going to eat my carrot cake as you, as you share your story. There you go, brother. Uh, morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Andy, and up until fairly recently, my life was kind of a huge mess. Um, I was not dealing with the fact that I am bipolar, which I knew about, and I was losing an undeclared war with addictions, which I refused to acknowledge. Uh, During my lowest point, I uh, lost about 30 pounds in the course of three weeks, and I had completely ceased to function. Uh, As for God, I didn't really know if there was a God or not, and either way, I didn't care because I didn't think it had any impact on my life. Um, However, despite that fact, uh, God had had a reason to be uh, interested in me, and uh, he was not done with me yet. Um, So he... He kind of brought me along. He, my parents confronted me. They told me that I could either go into the hospital or they would call my doctor and have him basically force me to go into the hospital. I don't advise that. It's really not very much fun. But uh, so I went to the hospital. I was there for about a week. Um, I was roommates with a paranoid schizophrenic, which is kind of interesting. Um, after after I got out of the hospital, I was um, in a Christian-based uh, partial hospitalization program. That's kind of where you are uh, in therapy for eight hours a day, but then you get to go home at night. Uh, that gave me an opportunity to um, face and acknowledge some of my junk and uh, got me into going to therapy on a regular basis. And that was kind of my first step. After that, I... Uh, was led to a Christian-based recovery program, 12-step recovery program, and that got me to acknowledging more of my junk, uh, starting on the way towards recovery, and it brought me into a church. I tried several different churches over some time until I found a home here. So it's been a it's been a long road. Um, I've slid back several times, and I've 
been making forward progress in general. But uh, I'd say right now, I can say that I'm dealing with my addictions. I am dealing with effect on bipolar. Um, I have got joy in my life for the first time since I can remember. Um, I haven't felt real joy, I don't think, since I was a kid. And for the first time, I feel joy. I've been able to um, sabotage with some of my unhealthy relationships, and God has brought um, healthy relationships into my life. Brought people who have um, been there for me when I was at low points and been able to celebrate with me when I've had good times. So if I figure if God can have a place for me, then... Uh, it's a wonderful feeling, and God's got a place for all of us. And that's a little bit about me. So that's, that's just a story. Uh, if you're from the outside and you're going, oh, that's really nice. But for me, that's an encouraging story of God's grace. That in spite of our, our junk, our... Uh, our decisions, our DNA, whatever it is, beside, apart from all that, God still moves. And there's hope. There's hope for me. There's hope for Andy. There's hope for us. And those are stories that you need to hear and not just me. That's why we share these stories. It's to say there is hope. And God is at work. God is at work. And uh, so I want you to prayerfully consider as well. Number one, is God at work in your life? Is God moving? And if there's just this darkness or long quiet, maybe it's time to ask some questions. Maybe God is kind of doing this knocking on you and saying, hey, I'm here. Are you ready to respond? Or maybe you're in a different place. Maybe you're well into your journey. And it's time for you to share what God is doing so that the body of Christ is encouraged and challenged. And you can say, hey, there is hope because Jesus has paid the price. So that's why we share these stories. And so if you have a story that needs to be shared because God is saying, that's what happened last week. Andy said, all right, you know this summer when you said, when are you going to be ready to share your story? I think i got to share it. So it took a while. It took a couple months before he was ready to share. Maybe, maybe now is your time to say, hey, this is what God has been doing, and I need to share how he is moving. Well, let's move into uh, what God is still doing by looking at the living scriptures we are walking through um, just a short 72-week series um, in the book, seriously, 72-week series in, in the uh, Gospel of, of Mark. And uh, so I encourage you right now, if you brought your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 2. If you need a Bible, there's some along the aisles, kind of flag the people down and they'll, they'll send one on down to you. But Mark chapter 2 um, is where we're at. 
And we've been doing this for some time, so it feels like an eternity. But for me, uh, Jesus is coming alive off these pages because there's a lot of questions of who Jesus is. Uh, our, our world tells us, well, he was a great teacher or he was a great physician or a very good moral man. He was uh, this or he was that. And so having first gone through the book of Ephesians, which really deals with where's your identity found because the world is telling you all kinds of stuff. And the book of Ephesians, basically, after so many chapters, says your identity is found in Christ. And if our identity is found in Christ, we need to really examine closely who is this Christ? Who is this man that the book of Ephesians has been talking about and says you need to align your life with this Jesus Christ? So we're looking at Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and began to teach them. And he began to teach to them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I'm going to take a risk this morning, and uh, nothing new there. But I'm going to, as you heard these words, I need a little bit of shout-out time. Uh, What were some of the things that jumped out in between uh, verse 13 and 17? What, What are some of the things, as you read this and you heard this, what are some of the things that you saw and you heard? Anybody? And followed him. Just that phrase, and followed him. Good, Julie. Sinners. And do you love it how even in the Bible or back in the Jesus time, they even had the, and sinners, you know? Put it, yeah, just kind of put it in the quotes, you know, and sinners. Anybody else? What else do you see? What jumped out? Oh, come on. My fifth grade students did better than this. You don't even have to raise your hand. What's that? Follow me. Just two simple words. What else? Yeah, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the the sick. Anyone else? The Pharisees didn't believe they were sinners. Yeah. What else? I... I love how Jesus is always eating. Yeah. There's a party that ensues there, isn't there? Where there's food, there is Jesus. What else? Yeah, of all the crowd that were there, he chose a tax collector. Anyone else? What's that? Don't prejudge. Good.
Anyone else? Very good. Anyone else? Well, here's the fun thing for me is that God speaks uh, to you just as He speaks to me. And this this week as I sat in this, I was reading this and I'm going, okay. It brought me all the way back to to Mark chapter 1 where John the Baptist had just said, you know, prepare the way of your hearts because one greater than me is coming and I'm not un, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. And then Jesus enters the scene and he misses a huge PR opportunity. He he didn't have like the red carpet, the Galilean red carpet rolled out. He didn't have the lights. He didn't have, you know, the fan club. He didn't do any mass marketing. He just came and said, "Um, I'm here to be baptized. And so here's this Jesus missing out on a huge opportunity for, for growth. You know, in this world of church growth. There's all kinds of materials out there. If you do this and you do this and you do this, if you market to this kind of uh, demographic, you'll get this kind of growth and this and this and this. And, but Jesus bucked the system there. He said, hold on. I've come to identify with the sinners through my baptism. I've come to be with them and like them so I can minister to them. And so Jesus it kind of misses out on something Huge like that. And then he starts this whole thing of calling disciples. And he, his first set of disciples were just plain clothes fishermen who smelt of fish. These were not your, your, your suit guys. You know, they didn't have the, the, nice, uh, the nice robes with the nice fringe and the nice tassel. These guys were your smelly boys. You know, these were the guys that just, when it comes to who you should choose to grow your organization, Jesus chose blue-collar guys. And for some of you, you're going, thank God, because I'm a blue-collar guy. But Jesus did not choose the powerful. He did not choose the highly influential. Jesus chose simple men to lead his mission here on the earth to grow the kingdom of God, to introduce the kingdom of God to the rest of humanity. He chose those kind of people. And it goes on to Jesus healing and getting his hands really dirty with people. Healing a leper. In that time, there were all kinds of rabbinical laws that you got to stay down or you got to stay upwind from them. And if you're downwind, you got to have so many feet away from them. Every time that a, a, a leprous person would come, they had to scream out, unclean, unclean. They had to be expelled from their, their own culture, their own society. But Jesus touched those very people. He was the one that said, yes, I'm able. Watch the magic. And a miracle ensued. By touching an unclean person. And today we see Jesus having an interaction with a very wealthy man. 
but a very despised man. You see, Levi was a part of uh, the, the Jewish culture. He was a good Jewish man, and I'm sure at one time he was one that went through all the, the training. He learned the Torah. He learned all these things. But somewhere in there, Levi made a business decision. Because the Roman government had a very lucrative opportunity for him. And there were two kinds of taxes that Levi could, uh, could uh, participate in. And the first one was just the common income tax. We all know what taxes are. We all have got to pay them. College students, just wait. You'll see what it's like. Have kids because, you know, it's a good tax write-off. But, uh, you know, not just for that reason. Uh, but there's these taxes that the Roman government said, you must collect these taxes. But then there's the other taxes. And these tax collectors were basically brutes. They were bill collectors. They could, If somebody was walking down the road, they could stop them and say, let me check your bag. What merchandise do you have? A certain percentage of that will be mine. They, he was located along Capernaum, which is near uh, the sea. And so all the fish that were taken, he would take even a percentage of those. And if you weren't able to pay a tax, he could take, give you a loan at a high, high interest rate. And so these were hated people. Levi was not liked at all. And Jesus made a choice that day. Jesus made a choice that day to enter into a relationship with the unwanted. And the funny thing is, is that Jesus saw something in him that no one else could see. Back in uh, 2000, or I'm sorry, back in 1999, I believe it was, I went uh, overseas for about 21 days with a bunch of high school students. Went to Italy, Austria, and Hungary uh, through a program called People to People Student Ambassadors. And uh, while we were in Italy, we were able to go to Florence. Beautiful museums. It was just absolutely amazing. It did smell of urine. I need to be honest. The alleys, you just don't want to be caught in there. But it was, it was an amazing place because of the artwork. And uh, we went to this one museum. And I remember walking in, could not speak a, a lick of Italian, um, and not exactly sure what our whole day was going to be about because our, our tour guide was not the best guide in the world. But we, I remember walking through this long, long corridor, and uh, in his broken English, he would be describing these large, huge uh, blocks of marble. And these huge blocks of marble down this, this corridor... In one, you would see a hand coming out. It's kind of freaky. Just this great big square block, you would see a hand coming out. In another one, you'd see a leg, or you'd see a, the beginning, the top of a head. And you'd see all these different, something coming out of this, this block of stone. And our tour guide was explaining that these were all pieces of Michelangelo that he started, but he never finished. Michelangelo believed that inside of every piece of a rock was 
a person, and a sculpture just begging to come out. Well, back in the 1500s, there was one colossal piece of stone, colossal piece of, of marble that was hewn out of uh, the side of a mountain. And in this, Donatello, a great artist, he looked at it, he turned his head and said, never would I carve anything out of this. And so it sat in the quarry and sat in the quarry and started to wear and tear and wear and tear till finally people said, what, there's nothing of worth in this rock. But it took one man who looked at it and saw a piece of art. He took it to Florence and chiseled and chiseled and chiseled and chiseled. And finally, in January 25 of 1504, all the great artists of Italy gathered. They all gathered to see the unveiling. And I'll never forget my first experience seeing this work of art. And I can imagine what it was like for these, these early artists and the, the people of that time. It comes down, and there stands the statue of David. The legendary piece of art. And the beautiful thing is, he saw something in that stone that nobody else saw. He spent hours without goggles and masks chiseling and chipping away. Thousands, tens of thousands of of chips and knocks and chips and knocks and chips and knocks. And he had to have his eyes exposed so that he could see every little hit because he saw art there. He saw Poema. And that word is huge if you go back to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 talks about how we are God's craftsmanship. We are His artwork created to do these, these good works that He's prepared in advance for us. So Ephesians even talks about we are these artworks these beautiful pieces of God's art. And Jesus looked at Levi as he was passing through one day and he looked him square in the eyes and he said, I see value. I see worth. Yes, a tax collector. Yes, scorned by the institution. But I see tremendous worth and value in you. He did not see a category. He did not see the bill collector, the tax collector, the scum of the earth category. He saw value. He saw worth. He saw something absolutely amazing. And two simple words. Follow me. The command. Follow me. Get up, follow me. And I love, and I think it was Julie that, that pointed out, Levi got up and followed him. He just got up. 
he had a lucrative business opportunity. He was making good money because later on you see that a large amount of people were at a party that Levi threw. He had a good-sized home. He probably lived in Frankfurt, not Mokina, Frankfurt. You know, a good-sized home, ginormous, one of those big ones. Maybe he lived on Platner here in Mokina. I don't know. But he had a big home. And what did he say? I'm going to follow this Jesus because he sees something in me. He sees value. He sees something that even I cannot see. And Jesus said, follow me. And I think for a lot of us, for me, I'm going, man, Jesus, do you really know what you're doing? You are choosing a flawed, imperfect thug to be a part of your inner circle. But Christ saw in the flawed life of Levi, a tax collector, he saw a Matthew, a writer, an evangelist. This very Levi was the one who wrote the book of Matthew. Jesus saw Something beautiful. And he still sees men and women with his amazing eye, his amazing artist's eye today. He sees you. He sees the world outside of these four walls, outside of our community. And he's saying, this one, this one is valuable. Body of Christ, do you see this one? This one is amazing. It needs to be chipped away. It needs a little bit of work. But I'm telling you, inside this stone is something amazing just waiting to come out. Will you pay attention as you walk by? Will you not see a category of person, but will you see a heart? I wonder, you know, Levi was a tax collector, so that was his job. But I wonder about sexual identity. Does, does the church of Jesus Christ, when they hear the words homosexuality, when they hear gay, when they hear lesbian, when they hear transgender, bisexual, when they hear all those kind of words, are those Levi's that we just go, let's keep on walking right on by because that is a dangerous person. That's a person I don't even know how to deal with. That, that person is scary. That's a whole other genre of person that I really want to avoid. Let's keep on walking. I know them, but I really I want to avoid contact because I don't know how to interact with them. They're dirty people. They're dangerous people. They're, they're a whole other category besides me. I want to stay safe. I want to stay clean. I'll play it safe. But Jesus, no matter what the issue is, whether it be bipolar, whether it be sexual identity, whether it be child abuse, whether it be job, Jesus says, you have tremendous value in the kingdom of God.
question is, do we have the eyes of Christ? Do we have the heart of Christ that just beats and says, man, that person is lonely, that person is hurt, that person is isolated? Do we see value in people? I know for me it's, it's a scary thing because I, I get very caught up in being around people that I know are like me. Can you identify with that? You want to be around people that are like you because you know what you can expect. But when God calls us out of that, you never know what you're going to get. And it's scary. And even for me, as, as a pastor, I know, you know, there's, there's kind of that expectation that Paul, you know, you're supposed to reach out to those people. You know what I mean? The sinners. You're supposed to hang out, Paul, with those sinners, and you're supposed to lead those sinners and tax collectors to Jesus Christ. That's your responsibility, because you're our paid professional. You go do it. And you know what? If I've got a friend that's like that, maybe you can do coffee with them for me. But if we all are supposed to be created in the image of God, we are image bearers. We are Christians, little Christ-like people. Is it not all of our responsibility, our call to, to love people compassionately, None of us want to say that we're like the Pharisees in this story. None of us want to be like that. You know, because while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, and there was food there, and I am sure that Levi threw a kicking party. He was, he was the kind of guy that, you know, it, we're not buying those, those big glasses or bottles of wine. We're buying the good, good stuff, you know, the smaller ones, the rare the rare ones that we have to have imported from actually Italy because these Judean hills aren't so good, but from really from Italy. And he threw this great food with great service, with really nice couches to lay down on and have good talk and good conversation and good food and good drink. And so Jesus is hanging out, having this great party with these people. But on the outside stands this other group of people. This other group of people that are watching Jesus with many tax collectors and sinners. And even Jesus' disciples were sitting in there going, yeah, I don't, We haven't eaten like this in days. This is great, but you know who this is? Do you know who that is? And the Pharisees said, uh, why does he eat with tax collectors and, and sinners? What's the purpose behind those people? Why would Jesus, this great teacher who was coming up through the ranks, where a large amount of people are following him, where he's healing and he's doing all these things, why is he sitting down with them? And I'm sure none of us want to say that we have 
Pharisee values, right? I mean, if you've been in any kind of Christian circle, the last thing you want to be identified with is a Pharisee or a hypocrite. Last thing you want. And none of us want to say that we line up with them. But I wonder, do we? Do I? Do I line up really more closely with a Pharisee than with Jesus? I mean, Jesus was the guy that was sitting down, dining, hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. You know, in our day and age, we're we're the kind that like to hang out with people like us. We arrange our lives so that we are with non-believers as little as possible. We attend Bible studies that are generally 100% what Christian. A Sunday school program for our kids, which is 100% Christian-led. We play tennis. We, we do soccer. We do activities. We might even attend a Christian college that allegedly is 100% Christian. We find the Christian doctors because you know, they need our support. We find Christian dentists because you know, they need our support. Heck, even our, our dogs are probably Christian and baptized. Because we put so much value on a stinking dog. You know, we, we've got to lead our dog to Christ. So everything about us is about these Christian little circles, these Christian little subcultures that we, we create to isolate and protect ourselves. But Jesus is saying, hold on. The result of you doing that is you pass by hundreds, hundreds of people. that need to hear about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, last week I had a conversation with a gentleman that uh, he came and cleaned my carpets. And he goes, Paul, I, I know I raised a stink for you uh, a couple months ago because you said that you had... Um, pint of Guinness at Galway tribes. Something inside that inside me didn't like that at all. He said, I found myself being self-righteous because you were having a beer in an establishment. So tell me about that. He goes, I felt guilty because I wasn't there. We had to go to places where people are, where the Levi's are. Where is it that God is calling you? You know, one of the parables talks about uh, this great banquet that was being thrown. And people weren't showing up to the table, even though they had very good invitations. And finally, the person throwing the party said, go to the highways, the byways, go to the alleys, invite anybody who will come. Anybody. Because there's an amazing meal here. 
a party is about to ensue. So, who is it that you know that you've uh, maybe devalued? You haven't seen in that, that piece of marble. You haven't seen God's beauty. I believe that God is calling us to go to their turf. Instead of creating programs and ministries that say, hey, come to our church. Come to our four walls. That's the thing that I love about this being able to worship in a school is the rest of the week it's used as a school. We have to go. We're called to be the people that are are going. To be in the lives of other people. Whether it be in your workplace, whether it be in your families, wherever it may be, we are called to go, to be people who are, are, are being sent out. Kind of the, the thing that Jesus said too in John is, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Put your own name in there. God is sending you to go out there, to interact, to be in their lives. To introduce them to, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This powerful story that is transforming, constantly transforming people's lives. That is what this is all about. We need to extend ourselves to those that we know are hurting. Provide a room for an unwed mom. Minister to Different cultures around us. Hello, you're pretty vanilla here. Very vanilla here. Minister to other cultures outside of our little white subculture. Get out of the box, folks. Who mows your lawn? I don't know. I'm just asking the questions. Maybe it's time that we get out and minister to other cultures, people who aren't quite like us. Volunteer in the local prisons. Get involved in the community. To the point even where you might have to say, Paul, you know, maybe it's time that you get out of your job because you're going places that I don't know if they're safe anymore. Great. Minister to people that need the ministering to Because Jesus even said in John seventeen fifteen, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus was praying that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Man, God, my prayer isn't that you take them out and that you put them in this really nice, safe place. My prayer is that you protect them. Wherever they go, to whomever they minister to. So two takeaways. I know I normally don't do takeaways. But one, I want you to notice this. Christ and His followers, which include you and me, should not isolate ourselves 
from a needy world, nor should we assimilate ourselves. We should neither isolate or totally assimilate. We're called to be salt and we're called to be light. As Christ entered into people's world, entered into Paul Vroom's world, into your world, in your junk, in your stuff, we're called to do the same thing. Enter into people's lives. And second, here's the thing that I love. Maybe it's because my wife and I love to entertain and we love to have food and we love to have good conversation. Christ sat down and still sits down with sinners. He dined with them and them with Him and He met their need. The only one that we know in this story whose life was radically changed was who? Levi. We don't know about the rest of the the hoodlums, the tax collectors and sinners. We don't know if any of them gave their life to Christ, but you know what? He sat down and he dined with them. It's our goal to be the type of church, the type of, of expression of the body of Christ that goes, that fully identifies with Jesus Christ in His incarnation, His coming, as well as His, his going out and going to those places. So I started with a question. The question is, what is this text? What stands out to you? And that's really easy because, you know, some of you have maybe gone to a Christian college or at least been in a church for some time where you've really done some Bible studies and maybe you even have some things highlighted like me and go, man, this jumps off the page. This is really cool. But now the question is, what is the Holy Spirit teaching you? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now about Levi's? If this is, as Philippians talks about, Philippians 2, about the humility of Christ and Him entering fully into our world to the point where He's willing to die, are we willing to also identify in that way? What is, what is the Spirit saying to you now? What is he saying about this Jesus? And if our identity is found in this Jesus, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you in your little corner of the world? Are you hearing him say, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Are you willing to join in the Missio Dei, the the mission of God? Are you willing to join in and join God with what God is already doing in your circle? 
would you much rather stay where it's safe? And I'm going to tell you, if you'd much rather stay where it's safe, you're in the wrong church. There's other great churches around here. But I'm, I'm going to push you and challenge you to say, we as a body are about, about the going. About the connecting with the tax collectors and the sinners. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to get dirty. It's going to get sloppy. It's going to be like a mud bowl. As people's lives start coming undone, and as God starts doing a healing thing, as lives start coming back, we're going to hear more stories. But initially, it's going to get messy. And I would have it no other way. The question is, do I got brothers and sisters who join with me in that mission and say, I'm about that. I'm about marriage counseling. I'm about uh, helping people with addictions. I'm about honesty. I'm about loving. I'm about caring. I'm about friendship with people that are different than me. I'm not about categories of people. I'm about God's artwork and what God is doing. I'm about that. If you're about that, you're in the right place. Because that's what we're about. Watching God call people and transform them into new creations for the old is gone and the new has come. Let's pray. God, I just uh, love how on the pages of uh, Scripture, you just come alive. Um, So often we see just as a historical person that um, does some cool things. And God, we often forget that you are uh, the same Jesus who has called us from our junk, our questions, our ambiguity, our whatever. We are those, we are Levi's who have been transformed into Matthews. So God, I just pray that you give us eyes that can see that and hearts that are uh, hearts of flesh that just beat with your heart, that just have a passion for your good news that you came, that you lived, that you died, and that you rose again so that we can have life. God, I ask that we're able to see that we're a part of your story. That you're up to something in our lives, but that you're also up to something in the worlds around us, in our workplace, in our families, in our places of recreation and play, God, that you're up to something there. And God, I just ask, I honestly ask God that you give us a heart of compassion. 
Just, God, give us this week, even though it's Thanksgiving week and there's all kinds of stuff going on, God, that You give us compassion. That we can see people, not events or categories. God, that as we go uh, the day after Thanksgiving, the biggest shopping day of the year, God, that You see, we can see not just uh, store clerks, but we see people. We see family members. Some of us are disconnected. God, may we see people as you see them. God, give us your heart. Forgive us for being negligent and cold and isolated. God, we're going to give you some simple songs again. And hopefully, God, these really come out of our uh, our tender hearts, that they're not just words that we sing, but they're, they're our love song to a mighty God who has created us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. May they come out of hearts of gratitude and praise because of what you have done in our lives. So, God, in this moment, soften us. May we reflect back your goodness to each other and to you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.